Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, you hear that beat and you know it's just started. The business show with me, Alameen Templeton, Business Matters. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, what an interesting day we've had on the JSC. Uh, the All Share Index gaining nearly 1%. Uh, the top 40 up 1.16%. The RAND is going through the roof. People are saying we can't understand why. Oh, gold is also through the roof compared to yesterday. We're on 13.90 to the dollar today. Can you believe it? Wow. It's been a long time since February, hasn't it? 13.90 to the dollar. Yesterday, we're on 14.10. Uh, yesterday, we were on 18.40 to the pound. Today, we are on 18.23. Yesterday, we were on 15.88 to the euro. Today, we are on 15.68 to the euro. Nevertheless, so we're kind of like um, maintaining uh, our, uh, our valuations in line with our emerging market peers, as Bloomberg likes to call it. Uh, we're on 9.96. Well, actually, we've made some ground against the Australian dollar, funnily enough. Um, we were on 10.05 yesterday, and today we were on 9.96. Uh, against the Turkish lira, we've made a little bit of ground. We were, we were on 2.47 yesterday. Today we're on 2.42. And against that darn Japanese yen, we're still on 13 cents. It's amazing that Japanese yen, it just doesn't budge. I guess, you know, it's got so small that uh, it's maybe, maybe there, you know, the Japanese in the 1970s, they moved on to miniaturization in their, in their manufacturing processes. And it turns out that they also move on to miniaturization with their, with their currency. <laughs> uh, it's so small that you actually can't hit it, I think. <laughs> when the currency dealers try and, uh, try and um, wrap the yen, uh, they, they, they kind of miss it all the time. That's why the yen is like just sits there. No, we're on 13 cents to the rand again today. And uh, what is the yen uh, to the rand today? No, we're on 13 cents. No, 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 we're on 13 cents. We're not going to leave that. No, we're not. We're on 13 cents. We're going to sit there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, what does uh, what does the currency value mean anyway? I mean, if you think about it, the two main trading platforms in the world are Bloomberg and Reuters. All of the news that we brought about our currencies come from the two main trading platforms. The people who write these stories claim to be journalists. Can you believe it? <clears throat> now, the whole thing about journalism is it's supposed to be independent and objective. Now, how can... Like, I mean, imagine now, say, suddenly uh, a news organization starts bringing out a sports newspaper. And immediately the first thing it does is goes and buys all the betting shops in South Africa. And then on top of that, it goes and it buys all of the stadia in South Africa as well. All the soccer stadium, uh, the Yuxke stadiums, the rugby stadiums, the stick fighting stadiums. And then, uh, and then it starts uh, sending out news, you know, quoting this gambling uh, outlet and, and that gaming store and so on, you know. Would you be able to trust somebody who is so closely intertwined with everything that is going on? You wouldn't be able to trust the news coming out. It would be all sensationalist and nonsense. You would say, yeah, no, man, that's for gambling addicts. You, you, you don't read that stuff. That's for the people who basically live in those uh, gambling shops. You know, they like um, they, 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 they take a little um, plastic bag with them because they don't like going to the toilet while, like, like you know, they get 10 races around and there's, a, there's another competition going on over there. There's a game going over there in America. They're playing gridiron football. Now, other side of the world, we've got kickboxing in Thailand and, you know, um, and so maybe, you know, in, in, in essence, um, um, uh, Reuters and Bloomberg aren't to be trusted with any kind of news that they bring out about, about currencies, particularly um, yeah, ever, ever since the carry trade come out, because basically the carry trade is, is dependent on weak emerging market currencies, uh, strong uh, stagnating current uh, economy currencies, you know, stagnating economies like United States and Europe. They've got a very old and aging workforce, graying, uh, all those baby boomers are going into retirement, all those uh, bewildered little children of the flower power people from the 1960s are wondering what's going on, what happened to our future? Whereas uh, I think Generation Z, uh, as they called now, you know, you had uh, Generation X, then you had the Millennials, and then you 
had the snowflakes and now you've got Generation Z. Okay, so now Generation Z is just kind of like saying we don't care what happens with the future because we know it's not going to be there. They're just looking at day, today, today, today. We've gone and squandered it all. Um, yeah, well, declining populations, fewer workers, fewer people to support uh, um, uh, aging pension funds that are ba- desperately trying to like sort of pay for, you know, the defined uh, benefit uh, Defined benefit uh, pension funds that they used to have, uh, well, uh, well, that um, state um, employees still have in South Africa. It's very nice, you know. They still got defined benefit there, the PIC. Tell you what, if you're worried about your old age, go and work for the government. So anyway, stagnating economies. Um, their their markets are shrinking. Uh, their virile and active, strong workforce is weakening. Um, uh, they go and uh, try and uh, sell their goods overseas, and it turns out that you know nuclear family model means that each uh, nuclear family is increasingly looking after itself. In fact, you nowadays you're not speaking about just the nuclearization of the family. You now speaking about nuclearization of the individual. Individualization, people living on their own, is increasingly becoming a phenomenon uh, in the West. And uh, that means that each person, in, instead of being able to share his expenses with his family, is now having to take the whole burden onto his own. So each person is having to pay for his own rent, for his, uh, having to get, get his own microwave oven, his own television set. He's having to do all of these things that become really expensive to stay alive. The cost of living has gone up, but the standard of living has gone down. That means that uh, employers have to fork out more money to pay for these workers. And it's difficult to get hold of them. And hence, that's one of the main reasons why you have human trafficking in the world. It's not really got to do with uh, harsh conditions in Africa alone. It's also got to do with the desperation of manufacturers in Europe and the United States who need cheap labor in order to be able to sell their goods in foreign markets because their own markets are saturated. Their own markets are saturated by imported goods from the big population economies. They can afford to spread it around a bit, you know. I always say, why is it so difficult for rich people to have children, where it's so easy for poor people to have children? That's because poor people live in an extended family kind of network, you know. You're dependent on your mother who lives three streets away to look after the kids when you go to school. Your uncle comes around and borrows a lawnmower and you go over to your brother on the other side of town and you get his wrench. And someone else has got your drawer and, 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 and that's the way the poor live, <clears throat> in and out of each other's pockets all the time. It's called cross-subsidization. It lowers your, your cost of living and is the reason why I'm always saying on the show that South Africa should be moving to an extended family-based economy rather than a nuclear family-based economy. And uh, we, should, uh, we should be uh, launching f- an, a new type of company in South Africa, the family-based company, where ownership and, um, and membership is only by birth. It is not transferable. Uh, you know exactly who you're dealing with when you deal with these, uh, with these companies. You can't get rogue directors coming in and hijacking the family. Is essentially that's what the company is. And it, it gives the extended family a formal means of accessing the, the formal economy. Uh, I think it would be a great way for South Africa to uh, um, introduce a lower wage uh, benefit. I think we do have a lower wage potential here in this country, but I don't think it's going to be unlocked by either the corporations or the trade unions. As long as we've got those standing between the extended family and the formal economy, uh, South Africa is never really going to unlock that potential. If you have a family unlocking its own low wage potential by agreeing to sign to a contract or a government um, uh, a government tender, um, then they're able to do it themselves and they're able to take on that pain because if they live more integrated and closely together, then they can share their costs and their standard of living can rise on a mutual basis. But anyway, enough of that. Yeah, let's have a look at the JSE today in terms of uh, most watched shares. Well, according to ShareNet's website today, the most watched share is Sabania, and it's down 17.6%. And now you have to ask yourself, and there's actually a little clue here, you see, uh, because um, Sabania sold 1.7 billion rands worth of shares today. 
And boy, I'm sure that all of the other resources companies on the JSE are hating their guts. Well, not so much, because just a few days ago, the uh, Chamber of Mines, they don't call themselves that nowadays, they call them something else. Uh, but it's the same people, basically. Uh, yeah, the Chamber of Mines just yesterday issued a statement uh, saying, uh, Roger Baxter was being quoted as saying, yeah, there's 90,000 jobs at risk in the platinum sector. We've got to be very careful, because of course, you see, they're all uh, salting the battlefield, so to speak, in preparation for wage negotiations that are coming up, and they're expecting them to be really tough. Because you've had industrial action at Sibania since November last year. Uh, Sibania has won court case after court case, and it would clear that all they're doing is antagonizing their workers. Neil Froneman should have been a minor, I think, during apartheid. He would have learned a few good bloody lessons. But anyway... Uh, Neil Froneman is speaking about taking uh, his company out of South Africa. And, you know, the thing about that is that's fine, Neil. But then what are you going to do with all of your holes in the ground? You can't take them overseas as well. So, I mean, you're going to be facing the same problems and you're going to be trying to remotely control them from a distance. And that's just not going to work. Ask Anglo Gold. Yeah, anyway. And plus... I mean, the thing about Sibania, I mean, you need tight control because all of the all of the platinum mines that they bought from uh, Anglo Platinum a few years ago are all deep, narrow, and steeply inclined. That means they're very similar to gold operations. They're difficult. Uh, there's danger in them. Uh, there's lives that are going to be lost. All of these kinds of things mean that you're always going to have a bit of an, an angry workforce working for you. And uh, trying this krachtdadige approach isn't going to work. You can win in the you can win in the courts, but the way labor relations work and it's recognized in labor law is that it comes down to a matter of power. And uh, that's uh, Joe Tununjwa, the head of uh, MCU. He understands that very clearly. I've got a feeling that uh, this year we're going to see some very nasty industrial action on South African mines, gold and platinum. Gold and platinum. Anyway, uh, if, uh, and that theory is basically underscored by the movements on the JSE today because you'll see the top five losers on the JSE today are all resources companies. Sibania in number one place, uh, down 17.65%. That's what happens when you sell so many shares. It's not merely a dilution. That means that the market is taking a rather contrary view towards uh, your uh, future performance. Anglo Platinum is down 3.94%, Exaro down 3.04%, Northam down 2.75%, and Harmony down 2.37%. All five of the biggest losers on the JSE today, uh, resources companies. Mr. Price is the biggest winner today. It's been in the losers bracket a few days in the past week. So I guess a little bit of a topsy turvy. Uh, trying to win in the gains and uh, losing the roundabouts kind of thing that's always going on in the JSC. RCL Foods, uh, that's Rainbow Chicken Foods, uh, is also a big winner, up 6.67%. Vivo, that's the Shell Service Station uh, retailer in the rest of Africa, excluding South Africa, is up 5.08%. There really are a frequent... Um, um, performer in the top five or the top, you know, going up and down movers on the JSE. Uh, ShopRite is uh, in fourth place in terms of winners and Netcore is in fifth place. Right, okay, so that's the tail of the tape done on the JSE today. I don't know if that really gives you an idea of what's going on in the wider economy because as I always say, people in Bush Ridge, they don't care a darn about what's happening on the JSE on any given day of the week or year. Coming up uh, in the show today, we've got the RAND firms as the European the Central Bank promises to continue printing funny money to keep its aging, stagnating economy going. President Ramaphosa promises to intervene in the construction industry's gangs crisis. We've uh, mentioned this a few times on our show. Uh, really is. It does seem to be uh, a major problem in the construction industry. Uh, we'll be discussing that a little bit later. Russia and Zimbabwe have agreed to build a 55 billion rand platinum market. That's really going to be interesting because that's going to change the state of play in the platinum sector in southern Africa. Uh, my understanding of the way uh, Implats or Zimplats um, does its operations is it still smelts all of its uh, ore here in South Africa. Uh, however, Russia has agreed that they're going to build a smelter in Zimbabwe. Uh, and, of course, it's the great dike region <clears throat> of Zimbabwe, which is extremely rich in gold, platinum and diamonds. 
So uh, the development of, of that particular piece of property in Zimbabwe is really going to be opening up, and it looks like the Russians are going to be getting first bite at it. Very interesting, that one. Uh, Nissan has pledged uh, 3 billion rand to upgrade its Pretoria plant. Uh, so Ramaphosa is very excited about that, <clears throat> but I reckon he's, he was, he's wishing that he was Zimbabwean today. Others are starting to ask if South Africa's cell phone companies are being targeted in Africa. Uh, we've mentioned this uh, several times on the show. Um, other, other, other journalists are now also starting to ask what's going on. I think uh, in many ways, yes, cell phone companies are seen as an easy target simply because uh, they've got a low infrastructure cost. And once those are paid off, then it's just money for jam. And I think uh, African company, uh, African governments, uh, once they see that money flowing out of the country after the initial investments are saying, hey, no, hold on, wait a minute. We need, we need to do something. Um, Nigeria has already uh, got MTN to, to list there. And several other African countries are putting MTN under pressure to list. Now it appears that Vodacom or Vodafone, if you, however you want to call it. And remember, they try to rebrand themselves as Vodafone, but that, that image of that last drop of blood being squeezed out of a piece of stone, which is their logo, uh, South Africans didn't take to Vodafone. Uh, so they still call themselves Vodacom, but in actual fact, it's a British company. But it's got a secondary listing in South Africa, so people are calling it a South African cell phone company, but it's not really. Chicken imports are killing the local industry. Brazil and the U.S. are in the crosshairs. We'll be discussing that if we have enough time. Gold and platinum miners are preparing for war. More on that in Zimbabwe coming up. Are the Saudis getting ready to pull the plug on the dollar? Now, what would be a business show without a little bit of, um, you know, hairy uh, finance and economics to discuss? Hopefully, we'll have enough time for that. And Iqbal Server denies cooking AO's books. All right. Well, anyway, we've had quite a bit to say about Brother Iqbal on the show over the last while. Uh, and, well, um, I'll put him down at the bottom because <laughs> I don't want to be co- uh, accused of being biased against uh, the man who has um, done as just as much damage uh, as Tony O'Reilly did to independent newspapers. Uh, I blame the journalists. I, don't, I mean, you know, um, billionaires are going to do what billionaires do. Uh, and they, if they're going to be allowed to get away with it by the journalists working for them, well, then uh, that's the journalists mustn't complain, you know, when they get a different devil and he's not the, the right skin color, you know, like Tony O'Reilly. Well, at least he was white. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's get let's get on to the show then, shall we? Right, uh, right. So we said, yeah, the rand was firm against major currencies uh, this afternoon. Broke through the 14 rand to dollar barrier for the first time since late February. Uh, analysts have expressed some surprise at the stability of the currency. I haven't been really surprised. We haven't had uh, many ne- major negative winds towards in, uh, emerging. Mo- well, you know, really. What is the function of the rand? Is it a function of economic strength in South Africa? Or is it a function of some strange, crazy little story that Reuters or Bloomberg are are floating across their news wires uh, claiming to be journalism? Uh, and uh, yeah, is it, is it a function to keep uh, the carry trade coming into the country? Maybe it is. Maybe Reuters and Tito Maweni they get together each day and they, they try and figure out how we're going to get um, fat lenders from Europe and the United States coming to South Africa with their easy money, taking out loans at 2.75 or 0 percent, whether the United States or Europe, and coming here and getting 6.75. Well, you know, they get more than 6.75. Uh, and if they were smart, they'd be able to argue. Um, a plus 10% uh, interest rate by buying things like single stock futures and so on <clears throat> where you buy uh, the underlying you, you, you waive your you waive your um, dividend you don't, you don't take the dividend and instead you invest in the interest rate so it's, it's, it's easy business really in a way I mean you're not taking much of a risk are you uh, well, in actual fact, it can get pretty hairy sometimes when uh, suddenly if you've uh, taken out a loan based on some commodities that you own and then the underlying commodity starts losing value or starts increasing in value and your bank, uh, initial loan bank, asks you to to fix up your security and uh, next moment you've got to take some money out of something in order to cover a hole that's developed somewhere else. And, of course, you know, if the, if the dollar weakens or the rand strengthens, uh, suddenly it's a whole kind of different territory that you're looking at. But nevertheless, on, on, a given, on any given day of the year, it's a sucker's game. 
And in essence, South Africa is the little rent boy on the corner of the world economy. So where we've been ever since 2006, 2005, 2006, when Tim Emanuel and Tito Mbweni introduced a whole raft of legislation uh, facilitating uh, this kind of trading on the JSC. Um, Open the way for it. Uh, could we say that it's the tradability of the rand, uh, which is in actual fact its biggest enemy? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, start going down that road and you start going down a very, very dark road, don't you? Um, yeah, then you really start talking about major government intervention in things. Uh, that's, that's really currency controls and so on. I don't really know. I, actually, you know what? I'm not against currency controls. Uh, its uh, currency controls were implemented in the Far East economies uh, after '97, and and they did a very good job. Uh, so yeah, the, the the government does need to have that arrow in its quiver, I think. Anyway, uh, so uh, the rand continued uh, storming through the markets today. Uh, local news was downbeat. The South African Chamber of Commerce and Industries Business Confidence Index 41.6 index points in March compared to February. All right. Well, uh, you know, maybe maybe they should have delayed taking that. Uh, well, no, they don't. That's not how they do it. But anyway, it would be nice to ask all of those people who responded to the questionnaires how they're feeling today. They're probably feeling a little bit better. Um, Theresa May in Europe has got a promise that uh, from the European Union that she's going to be given an extension on Brexit. Uh, that's cheered up to no end, I'm sure. Interestingly enough, here on the local scene, President Cyril Ramaphosa has now officially received notification of uh, these construction gangs that are apparently wrecking construction sites across South Africa, uh, preventing construction from going ahead. Uh, we mentioned in detail Aveng and its intent to bridge contract in the, in the Wild Coast. Like we said, you try to pour um, uh, concrete from uh, 200 meters in the sky, uh, you really have to have your, your trucks lined up. You need your pouring equipment ready. Uh, you, need, uh, you need to ensure that your um, moles are properly positioned and in place. Uh, you've got to have all kinds of people in you, and you just need to let that run so smoothly. There mustn't be just one slightest little hitch. And then suddenly in the middle of all of that, you've got a gang of 20 that appears out of nowhere, accompanied onto your side by the police. And they say, we're here to discuss uh, who you've got as your subcontractor for the uh, cement pouring contract. What do you do? It's impossible. You can't just tell cement uh, not to dry while you wait for a three, uh, have a three-hour discussion. Uh, you can't do that. It just doesn't work. Uh, to what extent uh, these complaints have been overdone by a construction sector that has uh, been facing severe headwinds ever since 2010? Well, I suppose the aftermath of 2010 when all of the bribes and corruption started coming out. Very clear, you know, that it's not just black South Africans who are prone to corruption in South Africa. White people love that money too. They like that wonga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so anyway, Sil Ramaphosa, the president, uh, says he will soon meet with the South African form of civil engineering contractors about the letter they've written to him regarding the armed gang sabotaging construction. Uh, SAFCAC CEO P Webster Mfebe wrote to Ramaphosa in March asking the government move to address the crisis with urgency. Um, Fairbe is also a former member of parliament for the ANC, asked for a comprehensive cabinet intervention. He said Strabag internationally, International recently pulled out of a joint venture to build the South African National Roads Agency intent to bridge. Oh, that's uh, Strabag and Aveng, uh, they were there in the joint partnership. That's 1.6 billion rand, that bridge contract. 1.6 billion rands, and now it's been disrupted, and no one knows how it's going to be picked up. Uh, San Raul is threatening to sue Aveng, uh, claiming that Aveng is putting out because it's got uh, financial difficulties and it's got nothing to do with um, the armed gangs coming on board. But nevertheless, there does seem to be a far broader consensus in the industry regarding these disruptions. <clears throat> So hopefully uh, we're going to get uh, some uh, competent people on, on onto this case. Hopefully they aren't all still busy trying to investigate the ESCOM power stations. <laughs> 
In his letter to Ramaphosa Mfebe wrote that the construction projects with at least 25.5 billion rands are being violently disrupted and halted, saying this undermines investor confidence. Well, I guess that's the uh, understatement of the day. Presidency spokesperson Kulesa Digo confirmed receipt of the letter and said it had received Ramaphosa's attention. Well, he did say more than that. He says the issues they are raising have been discussed by the recent Presidential Infrastructure Coordinating Committee meeting. The President's also undertaken to set up a meeting with SAFKEC. Uh, some of the matters are being handled by provinces and national already. Sure, so that sounds like it's uh, really starting to move along. Well, that's, uh, that is uh, encouraging work. Uh, I mean, news coming out of the Presidency. And uh, Dika said that interventions in the matter have been handled by the Department of Economic Development. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully that's going to turn into something that is going to turn out right. In the meantime, Zimbabwe has signed an agreement with Russia to build a 55 billion rand platinum mine in the, that country, uh, finalizing a deal that's been stalled since 2014. So, anyway, more on that news and a lot more after this quick commercial break. You are listening to the voice of Ahlu Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Assalamu alaikum. Right, right, as we were discussing uh, earlier, Zimbabwe has signed an agreement with Russia to build a new 55 billion rand platinum mine in the southern African country, finalizing a deal that's been stalled since 2004. Now, the Great Dyke is in actual fact a strip, uh, a geological strip. Uh, that extends, that extends. Uh, I think it's east to west across Zimbabwe, uh, or is it north to south? Uh, the pictures I see seem to indicate that it's north to south, uh, northeast to southwest. Okay, so it's diagonally across Zimbabwe. Um, it's like uh, it's an ancient geological formation that's formed by lava upwellings uh, from the deep within the surface of the earth, and uh, they brought up with them a vast amounts of gold, silver, chromium, platinum, nickel, and asbestos. So it is very, 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 very rich, and the Russians are getting in. Um, well, I like that. I like it that the Russians are getting in. Um, I prefer the Russians to the Americans, the British, or the French. Um, why? Well, uh, well, you know, um, so far Russia hasn't been um, uh, hasn't been hasn't hasn't generated the genocide in Africa so far. You can say the same thing for China, America, Britain, France, Belgium, apartheid Israel. You name them, they're there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happier with the Russians than the Chinese coming in. Uh, I'm not saying that they necessarily are going to be different. Uh, we do need to keep a look on these things. It, uh, it does seem that, like, you look at some of the loans that uh, China's uh, uh, banks have given, have extended to, to ESCOM, and it would seem that, like, proper due diligences and so on have not been followed. But it would seem that that is very typical of ESCOM loans. Um, hopefully uh, on Friday we'll have Patrick Bond coming onto the show, Professor Patrick Bond from Vitz University. He's got a lot of things to say about these things. But anyway, in the meantime, getting back to Zimbabwe, the deal to develop the new Platinum Group's metals mine on the Great Dyke uh, was uh, sealed today, according to Polite Kamburuma, the nation's Deputy Mines Minister. The deal hasn't progressed since 2014. Uh, although uh, we still don't know what the shareholding structure is, uh, we, one presumes that it's 50-50. Uh, that, that's the, the, the official government uh, uh, strategy, but they have been talking about uh, changing that. Uh, so we actually don't know if it is still 50-50. Um, two weeks ago, the government finalized the agreement. The Russians say they're ready to come on the ground, and Kambaruma said in an interview on the sidelines of a conference in Joburg, the mine will be built in one of the largest platinum mining concessions in the country. Egypt's uh, Afrek Simbank may raise $2 billion to finance the building of the mine and a smelter at the project, according to the Herald newspaper. And uh, we see here miners in Zimbabwe, the ones who are already mining in Zimbabwe, are complaining that the country's currency reforms have not gone far enough. They say complete liberalization is needed to end a critical shortage of foreign exchange that is hampering business. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, um, the, they've got a new currency called uh, RTGS. I keep on forgetting what it stands for. It's, a, it's basically a peg to the dollar. Uh, it was supposed to be one-on-one, -on -one, but uh, since then it has changed. Uh, 
miners in Zimbabwe are saying you really need to flo float the rate because we can get a better um, uh, you can get a better rate on the black market I think uh, it's something like three point something versus four point something at the moment you can get three point something uh, of these strange Zimbabwe dollars for every US dollar on the official market rate but you can get four point something of these funny Zimbabwe dollars uh, to the US dollar on the black market uh, which is probably closer to the real kind of market rate. Uh, miners don't like that because it's like a 25% uh, is being grabbed off their profits simply by, by changing their, their money into this currency. So they're complaining. They say that they want to change. They want it to be have a free float. Uh, the Zimbabwe government is saying it's a little bit too early to say that it's been a failure. Uh, here I've got the figures. It's 3.13 of a RTGS to a US dollar. Uh, and on the black market, it's 4.36. So you are speaking about a significant percentage. Uh, the Zimbabwe government is a little bit uh, disagreeable and going along with this. Uh, I suppose, you know, they still remember those bad old days um, back when was it, like uh, 2008, hmm? 2007. Terrible things going on uh, as the Zimbabwe dollar fell through the floor. Um, so now people are asking, <clears throat> following the rest of uh, Vodacom's Tanzanian chief executive Hisham Hendi last week, uh, as well as uh, three other senior executives uh, from uh, Vodacom Tanzania, uh, are African countries starting to target South African uh, cell phone companies? Um, I think it was, uh, what do they call it, uh, the Daily Maverick. Uh, was asking today, um, are, are South African cell phone companies now basically seen as ATMs by, uh, by African governments? Uh, I would say particularly in the case of Nigeria. Nigeria has recognized MTN as being a bit of a soft target. Uh, and I would say this is largely not just because of the easy money flowing out of Nigeria, which is raising the hackles of, as it would of any government, uh, but also... Uh, because of the xenophobia in South Africa. It's very well known in Nigeria. Nigerians don't like it whatsoever. And so when you do go and soccer to a South African uh, country, you know that the Nigerians in Nigeria are going to say, yeah, you go for it. And uh, there's another third aspect to this whole imbroglio, and that is that the South African government doesn't have close enough ties with its companies. Like if you go and look at the ties between uh, American government and their companies, like their companies say, we need to go and go bomb the living daylights out of that country over there. And next thing you know, you're going to have all kinds of things. Your President Bush will be saying, Rocket Man is going to be on a rocket to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, suddenly there, the Americans are dropping bombs all over the place. And ten years later, they're coming with this plastic wreaths and saying sorry. And then next thing, they're coming and they're bombing again. You know, I mean, you've got a close relationship between the government and the corporate sector. You don't, we don't enjoy that kind of relationship here in South Africa. You know, we have a bit of a tunadering and then like everything just blows up and everyone just goes off and throws excrement at each other from the opposite sides of, of the room. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I think as long as we continue burning Africans in South Africa and saying that the Africans must go back home, as long as uh, cell phone companies continue making lovely profits in Africa and repatriating them, the governments are going to get angry with them. And as long as we don't have a strong and stable relationship between our government and the corporate sector, our corporations going into Africa are always going to be easy targets. That's the way I see it. Um, uh, it turns out uh, that in the, in, the, in the Tanzanian case, there may be something actually funny going on. Uh, they found 3,000 unregistered SIM cards in the possession of some of the suspects who've been arrested. Uh, the prosecutors claim uh, the loss is 68 million rands, which is actually not all that much uh, in uh, light of like the massive profits that the cell phone companies are making. Um, so, yeah... Uh, as long as, as, as those three uh, horsemen of the apocalypse uh, continue galloping in the wake of the cell phone company's safaris into Africa, I think they're going to be having problems everywhere they go. Remember, uh, just uh, in February, we were mentioning how Yoweri Museveni uh, collared uh, Rob Shooter, the, the chief executive of uh, MTN. Uh, and Davos, huh? 
it's like uh, it's like having uh, been robbed of your car in um, um, the Michelangelo Hotel's parking lot. You know, uh, there in Davos, Jovanen um, Museveni came and collared uh, Rob Shooter, pulled him into a broom cupboard, and beat the living daylights out of him, and demanded that uh, the company list. Uh, in Uganda, and that to get uh, a Ugandan um, shareholding. Well, you could say that's unconventional business tactics, but, uh, you know, I guess uh, they're seen as it happened in Davos, but it does. I mean, it speaks. It speaks as everything that I'm saying here, you know. Um, and I think the cell phone companies should be, the first thing they should be doing when they get into an African country is say, well, we're going to list here. We're going to make this our home. We're going to share the cake. As soon as you do that, you're going to have friends. If you don't do that, well, you're going to have problems all along the line. But don't do it too easily. You've got to also still maintain a, like, you know, a big man kind of persona as you do. We're going to spread the power. You must let people know this is my largesse. We are going to share. Yeah, because we are strong, we're powerful, and we'll grow stronger together. These are the kinds of things you need to say when you go into Africa and you're going to be making a lot of money. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, Africa is very well aware of the difference that cell phone companies have made. Um, they're very well aware of the differences it's made in their lives. Uh, the M-Pesa and Safaricon and all of those kinds of things, uh, the money transfer um, facilities that they've introduced have revolutionized ways. Small, uh, isolated little villages are suddenly able to connect. Things are starting, starting to move in Africa. But if uh, Vodacom and uh, MTN, uh, the two main companies we're speaking about, if they really want to have a less bumpy ride in Africa, I suggest they start making some serious friends, not just in the rest of Africa, but also here in our own parliament. Hmm. Okay, so two chicken farms. Francois Baird of, um, well, Francois Baird, he's from the, he's from the, is uh oh no he's from the association of meat packers uh we have a case of uh chickens chickens coming into the country at dirty prices at, at like around about 10 rand a kilogram now any anyone any of you guys out there have you gone and lately to buy some chicken you know you're going to buy a chicken uh 20 rand a kilogram. Some places you're getting up to like uh, nearly 40 rand a kilogram uh, for, for, for chicken. Uh, well, I suppose that's the fresh chicken as opposed to the frozen chicken. Uh, but it's definitely like more than 20 rand a kilo for frozen chicken. And we're speaking frozen chicken imports. Uh, they are killing uh, the chicken producers. RCL, I'm, I'm not getting any money from Rainbow Chicken. Um, but I would just like to say that really... Um, uh, it seems that the chicken producers have now decided that they can't really take on uh, the American imports, and now they're focusing on the Brazilian imports. They're saying that uh, something really needs to be done because it is impossible for local producers to produce chicken that they can then sell <clears throat> for less uh, than 10 rand a kilogram. Uh, it's, it's putting all kinds of uh, people in trouble. Uh, BEE chicken farmers, uh, chicken farming was seen as a viable entry point into agriculture by many BEE programs. In fact, uh, there's two um, BEE uh, programs just outside uh, Durban, Itaquini, that have gone bust. Uh, they were taken over by the council after Rainbow Chicken sold them. That's when Rainbow Chicken heard that the chief American imports were coming in. Rainbow Chicken, of course, knowing how the lie of the land lies, sold those uh, farms to the uh, Etiquini municipality. And while they tried, they tried to do what uh, Rainbow reckoned was impossible, and so they now have failed. Now, is that just another case of white corporations uh, setting up BEE to fail? You could say so. I mean, they didn't force uh, Etiquini to sell, to, to buy the chicken farms. But this is what has happened. This is what has happened. Uh, 
Now, you see, we're getting tons and tons of chicken imports uh, coming into South Africa. Uh, Brazil is, however, the biggest uh, single single importer, uh, accounting for 61% of imports and probably around about 39% are coming from the United States. Uh, and uh, there have been problems uh, with Brazil chickens all over the world. Uh, mainly, I would say, not necessarily... Um, not necessarily a a genuine kind of like hygiene problem that they claim to have, but this is kind of like lawfare. And this is another thing our government needs to start doing. It really does need to start waging lawfare around the world, like Chevron does, like all of the big oil companies do, like any big multinational corporation does. Really, our South African government needs to start waging lawfare uh, on behalf of its own industry here in South Africa. Uh, it was pointed out uh, last year sometime uh, by, by chicken producers here in South Africa that uh, the AGOA Act, which gives us uh, uh, ready access to the American markets, preferential access to America's markets, the AGOA Act should be nullified, we were told, uh, the chicken producers reckoned. You need to nullify this act, they said, because uh, when we signed AGOA, AGOA was, okay, we will reciprocate. We will allow your imports, we will allow our imports, and uh, everything will be hunky-dory. And then America has now gone and uh, raised problems with uh, South African aluminium imports into the country. So the chicken producers reckoned, well, this is it. This is a legal opportunity for us to uh, now to say we're pulling out of a goer. Uh, but unfortunately, the government then uh, responded and said, well, actually, you know what? Um, a goer trade uh, is a little bit bigger than chicken feed. It's more than chicken feed. Because uh, while the loss exports due to U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminium were significant, they're far less than the total exports to the U.S. under AGOA, especially in the automotive and agricultural sectors. Okay, but we'll discuss this in a little bit more detail. The scale of AGOA benefits for South Africa has dropped dramatically last year because BMW South Africa upgraded its local manufacturing plant in Rossland to produce X-series cars for the European market instead of the three-series cars it used to manufacture for the U.S. market. Departmental spokesperson Sidwell Madupi said last year the government was still trying to negotiate an end to or reduction of U.S. steel and aluminium tariffs. However, the biggest single beneficiary of AGOA in South Africa and also on the continent has long been BMW, which for years exported about 40,000 cars from South Africa to the U.S. every year. Due to the reorientation of the Rossland plant, South African car exports to the U.S. dropped precipitously this year, or well, well, actually last year. The export of sedans with engines smaller than 3 liters was about 3,000 per month last year. Since March, there were only four cars, cars this size exported to the U.S. These exports were worth about a billion rand per month last year, and that is now nearly zero. Citrus and macadamia nut farmers also enjoy significant sales in the U.S. thanks to AGOA. Last year, South Africa exported about $1.2 billion, that's about 17.3 billion rands in cars and car parts to the U.S., and more than $200 million in farm produce duty-free. Total ago exports were almost 24 billion rand. Most of this will dissipate in the year due to the end of BMW's uh, exports to the United States. So therefore, in actual fact, you know what? Okay, fine. So uh, you, according to the old model, it wouldn't have made sense, but it does now. Plus, like say, say BMW was still exporting those cars to the United States and was still exporting more than a billion rands worth of cars to the United States. Would it still make sense to shut that down in the interest of chicken? Because if you think about it, chicken is something that is eaten in South Africa in huge quantities. Chicken is something that poor people in South Africa really enjoy accessing, especially those frozen chicken portions uh, that you pull out of the freezer. Like, you know, it's usually like frozen to the floor of the freezer. You've got to like uh, pull it out with all of your strength. Uh, yeah, you know, poor people in South Africa chow this frozen chicken. Um, but uh, if you're going to give them cheaper chicken imports, that might help them. But if that results in the chicken industry in South Africa being destroyed <clears throat> and then we become independent on chicken imports and then they put up their prices, then suddenly we're stuck and we can do nothing about it. we just got to eat that expensive imported chicken. You know, that comes down to a matter of food security. Um, uh, South African chicken might be a little bit more expensive. 
But we can live with it. I think we can live with it. Because, uh, you know, it will still uh, protect the economy from uh, all of those exported money leaving the country. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if BMW was still exporting a billion rands worth of cars to the United States every month, how much of that money is staying in South Africa and how much of that money is repatriated to Germany? Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated one. People like their chicken. Um, and more people are going to eat chicken than are going to buy BMWs. So for political stability, mm, uh, it can be a really difficult one, can't it? Uh, how, do you, how do you work it out? Uh, do we cut down on it? I reckon we should cut down on the chicken import. Uh, uh, I reckon we should. We should get cut down on Brazil's and, uh, and the United States. Um, the European Union has banned the chicken imports from the United States simply because uh, they, uh, they soak their chickens in chlorine. Can you imagine that they soak their chicken pieces in chlorine before they freeze them? Uh, it's 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 disgusting. Uh, right, okay. So on to Zabanya Gold. So 1.7 billion rands worth of shares today. O'Neill Furneman, you're you're getting too clever for your own boots. Eh? You're getting too clever for your own boots. Um, really, for me, I want the Competition Commission to investigate platinum sales out of South Africa and platinum sales out of Switzerland. Well, maybe it's changed a bit since 2014 because the LME has basically been taking over the platinum stocks that have been hiding in uh, Swiss mines, I mean Swiss mountains uh, for many decades. And the reason why I want the Competition Commission to investigate this and also investigate gold sales out of South Africa is because uh, Reuters in 2014 did an article and it found that platinum sales out of South Africa are always at lowest price and platinum sales out of Switzerland are always at the highest price. That is like absolute, that's absolutely objective proof of collusion between traders. Um, and it's happening. Uh, you saw that uh, that platinum strike in 2014, and the platinum price did not budge. Yet Johnson Matthew had been saying that the uh, market had been in balance, was in balance, and uh, that's the reason why the platinum price was going up and down, up and down, up and down. Because as soon as there's a small little shortage, then there's a huge big peak in demand, and the price shoots through the roof. So, um, so it's always it's always benefited traders to maintain this kind of uh, urban legend that the platinum market is in balance. Because clearly that 2014 strike by AMCU showed that there's a lot of dirty stuff going on. And if uh, traders can sell platinum out of South Africa at the lowest price and sell out of Switzerland or LME warehouses at the highest price, then there's collusion going on. And someone needs to be hit over the head. Maybe even uh, confiscate someone's uh, um, platinum mining license. Imagine if you found that Anglo Platinum had been doing this for... 40 years, and you hit them with like a $100 billion um, claim. And you took their, their, their mining license away. Ah, yeah, no, no, the, the miners in South Africa, they like to play it tough. And the government needs to start playing it tough as well, because really there's some, a lot of dirty things going on. Uh, I've spoken about Anglo Gold's uh, forward sales uh, of gold. Uh, over the uh, the first uh, 10 years of uh, this new millennium. How much money did the fiscus lose as a result of that? Huh? Wasn't that just transfer pricing? Hmm? That's just disguised transfer pricing as far as I'm concerned. The South African Revenue Services uh, holds for itself the right to determine that uh, when, a, when a company sells it's uh, or it sells goods to a subsidiary overseas and it sells it at a lower price than the market price, then the South African Revenue Service is entitled under law to demand that the market price be paid for it because otherwise you're, you're taking money away from the tax man. And I reckon that's with that, that, that uh, those four sales of Anglo Gold, that was, just, that was just guys' transfer pricing. It was getting gold out of the economy cheaply. When the gold price shot through the roof, they were still selling gold at like something like $300 an ounce, while the price was around $900 an ounce. That is a massive loss to our fiscus. That entire, that entire gold boom happened in South Africa, and the income into South Africa barely registered a little flicker. 
Like we are flatlining all the way through that. How is that possible? That really stings me. That really bites me. We should be doing something about it. Mm. Well, at the same time, we want <laughs> closer cooperation between the government and its corporations. Oh, well, you know, it's no, there's nothing wrong with like wanting the world as long as you don't expect the world. Uh, well, I don't know. No, no, that's not uh, that's not a wisdom from me. That's just some nonsense that I'm speaking. All right. So, the Banya Gold sell 1.7 billion rands worth of shares, a move that will bolster its balance sheet against the risk of intensifying conflict with one of South Africa's most militant labor unions. The four-month-old wage strike by AMCU has slashed output at South Africa's gold mines. While Sabanya is challenging the legality of that strike, it's also preparing to pay negotiations with the AMCU at its platinum business. So it knows, like, you know, you, you go out of your gold mine and you cross the road to your platinum mine and, you know, the same guys kind of like walk across with you. You know, you argue about who's going to use the comfy chair. Uh, Arnold von Hran, an analyst at Netcore Securities, he doesn't know anything. No, I'm sorry, Adrian Arnold, I don't know you. I mustn't be mean and nasty like that. But he says it's a buffer. In the event, there's a strike at the platinum operations in counter impact of the gold strike. They've been prudent. Really? Mm, I wonder, well, you know, you check the whole of the resources sector fall through the floor on the JSE today and people would say, well, in actual fact, you know what? You should listen to what Teddy Roosevelt used to say. You used to say, walk quietly, but carry a big stick. Mm. Well, they've been uh, walking loudly and carrying a big stick. And I'm sure that AMCU is kind of looking at this and saying, we're going to get ready for a fight. Uh, President Joseph Matunjwa, who oversaw the longest strike in South Africa's platinum industry in 2014, is not the kind of guy to back down easily. Froneman sees a political agenda behind the union's actions. Whoa, you've seen all the communists. And there's time the share sale to take advantage of a surge in Sabanya stock this year. Yeah, I'm sure that the other shareholders in Sabanya are like really happy about it. Uh, Sabanya dropped, as we said, 17.5% by the close. Uh, and uh, the company sold uh, 108.9 million shares in placing with institutional investors. Oh, that's very nice. So, so, the, so the banks, for 15 rand 50 each, I find that difficult to believe. Because uh, it uh, was at 1467 today. And he sold it to the banks. The banks are not going to buy it for fifteen fifty each. Such a huge, big amount of shares. They know they're entitled to a discount. How could they pay that price? I can't believe it. Matunjua, who has criticized the bonus, has paid mine bosses, wants his members to share in the benefits of a surge in platinum and rhodium prices. And why shouldn't they? Uh, Chris Griffith, uh, Griffith, head of Anglo Platinum, uh, said that the world's platinum mine is preparing for tough wage negotiations this year. So you see, <clears throat> all of all of the war talk is getting ready. We are headed for a really tough negotiating season in gold and platinum this year. Time to batten the hatches and get ready. Uh, well, all of this is going to be happening, uh, I think, ahead of the May elections, or right in the middle of the May elections. So, yeah, that makes for an interesting uh, few months lying ahead for Mzansi. May Allah have mercy on our country and bless our country with the best of leaders and surround the best of leaders with the best of helpers and surround the best of helpers and the best of leaders with the best of followers. Ya Rahman Rahmin, bless South Africa with the diet. Oh Allah, bless this country with prosperity and we thank you for the lovely rains that we've had lately. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Well, Jazakumullah for joining us. <clears throat> I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.